Welcome to the Mission Cleveland Weekly Podcast. Encouragement and hope in a despairing world. Righteousness is a word that maybe is pretty layered for some of us. And so I pray you would just bring clarity, Lord. Would you just boil it down to the heart of it? Help us to see clearly what it looks like, what it means to truly hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not just want it, not just pursue it, but hunger and thirst for it. Holy Spirit, would you just enlighten our minds and our hearts. Let what needs to stick, stick, and what needs to fall away, fall away, and we just will trust you with it all. In Christ's name, amen. You haven't got it right, says the exasperated piano teacher. Junior is holding his hands the way that he's been told. He has memorized the piece perfectly. He has hit all the proper notes with deadly accuracy. But his heart's not in it, only his fingers. What he's playing is a sort of music, but nothing that will start voices singing or feet tapping. He has succeeded in boring everybody to death even himself. Jesus said to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees were playing it by the book. They didn't slip up on a single do or don't, but they were getting it all wrong. Righteousness is getting it all right. If you play it the way it's supposed to be played, there shouldn't be a still foot in the house. This is Frederick Beekner's reflections on the word righteousness. And what I love so much about his writing is in that last comment. If you play the way it's supposed to be played, there shouldn't be a still foot in the house. There's something intangible about that, isn't there? Where maybe in our hearts we think, yeah, that. But it's really hard to put language to, to articulate what it is that he's saying there. I think that getting at the the heart of things, the Beatitudes even, there's something kind of intangible about it that we can't just take and grasp and hold, but that we have to pursue or desire in a different way. It gets to the heart of things. What I love about the Beatitudes is that I feel like they animate, in a way, our lives with Jesus and help us realize the kingdom of God in our midst. They force us to move beyond just the mere mechanics, like I said, to the heart of the matter. So the heart of the matter is being poor in spirit. And the heart of the matter is embracing our mourning and our grief. And the heart of the matter is pursuing meekness. And the heart of the matter is hungering and thirsting 
for righteousness. And all of these with eternal promises attached to them. So we talked about this in preaching team. And Father Luke just asked, what comes to your mind when you hear that word righteousness? And I know for me, my immediate response was right action. I don't know if anyone else has that response. That says something about the context maybe that I was brought up in. For a lot of us, it's probably quite natural to think of that word right, right something. That word is literally embedded in the word righteous or righteousness. But right what? Is it, is it right action? Is it right belief? Is it having a right mind? Is it right relationship? Is it having a right heart? I think it's probably a little bit of all of those things combined. When you look at the word righteous, you find some other words alongside it like upright, virtuous, honorable, law-abiding, noble. I'm sure you could add your own words to that list as well. The Hebrew word for righteousness is derived from an Arabic root, meaning straightness. I thought that was interesting. And this word really doesn't translate very well into English, I was finding as I was doing some research. But the biblical framework helps us to understand it a bit more holistically. So I don't want to bore you, but I do want to provide a little bit of Old Testament context and New Testament context for this word righteousness that can maybe help us get to the heart of this word. So in the Old Testament, there was a real um, relational connotation with this word righteousness between God and man and between man and man. Righteousness was action that promotes the well-being of others and conforms to the requirements of the relationship. In the prophetic period, righteousness was very much linked to justice, which is another word that may come up for some of you when you think of righteousness as it should. So in the prophetic period, righteousness was very much linked to helping the poor and the needy enacting justice. And so maybe within the Old Testament, we could boil it down to this. Righteousness is the correct relationship to the will of God expressed and interpreted through the law of the covenant. Correct relationship to the will of God expressed and interpreted through the law of the covenant. Now, when you get to the New Testament, we know that some things or ideas or concepts that are found in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when you get to the New Testament, they can take on a little bit of a different tone. Maybe um, it's, it's redirected a little bit because when Jesus comes on the scene, that's what happens. Things are given new definitions. And so in the New Testament... Righteousness is no longer defined by or interpreted through the lens of the old law, but Jesus was the fulfillment of that law. So now righteousness is conformity to demands of the will of God as expressed through Jesus Christ. Conformity to the demands of the will of God as expressed through Jesus. And righteousness is a gift to those who are granted the kingdom of God. It's not obtained by right action, but by faith, by right relationship to Jesus. 
We also see righteous one as a messianic title throughout scripture. Jesus as the perfect picture of righteousness. Jesus as the perfect picture of a right relationship to God, a right relationship to his will, a right relationship to his law, and a right relationship to his covenant. Jesus as picture of righteousness. And I want to give you some some scriptural references, so hang in with me. But it was fun to explore the scriptures kind of in a new way for this homily. So Isaiah chapter 53 says, After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. The righteous servant being Jesus. In Jeremiah chapter 23, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, Jesus, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. There's that connection of justice and righteousness. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. And then all over the book of Acts, chapter 3, chapter 7, chapter 22, we see Jesus named as the righteous one. And yet there's something unfortunate and maybe even uncomfortable that we have to address. And it's a tale as old as time that we think somehow that we can earn righteousness. And this leads to a form of righteousness all too prevalent in our world today, and that is self-righteousness. When you think self-righteousness, maybe you think of words like egotistical, hypocritical, maybe even complacent. Self-righteousness, I believe, is pursuing uprightness or an upright life for the sake of uprightness, not for the sake of Jesus and neighbor. So then maybe we could say, well, then righteousness is pursuing uprightness and an upright life for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of our neighbor. Matthew chapter 23, we read, Woe to you! Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. The Pharisees had the mechanics, had the path, the logistics, um, if you will, to righteousness, just nailed to perfection. Their mechanics were on point, but the inside was rotten, and it was dead and asleep and numb and complacent and not upright. In Habakkuk chapter 2, we read, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness by his faithfulness. Romans chapter 1, for then the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then in Hebrews 10, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Do you hear it over and over again? Righteousness and faith 
inextricably linked. Righteousness obtained through faith as a gift and also, I believe, perpetuated as faith is lived out. Obtained through faith as a gift and perpetuated in faithfulness or as that faith is lived out. So what about the hungering and the thirsting, though? Because that's what Jesus says in the Beatitude. The truth is that many of us, myself included, may not know the full weight of really being hungry and really being thirsty. Many of us don't know true desperation. And I don't mean just only for ourselves, but maybe even more so on behalf of of our neighbors. Desperation on behalf of your neighbor. What a profound idea. And what I believe Jesus is saying to the crowd that day is something along the lines of this. You've had a taste of it. You've gotten a taste of what it's like, what it tastes like to be aligned with the will of God. You've gotten a taste of what it's like to be in the current, in the dance of right relationship with me. You've gotten a taste of what it's like to experience him bringing about justice and making things right as his kingdom breaks in. And now, long for it over and over and over and over again. Let your lives be defined by it. You won't be left unsatisfied and you won't be left unfulfilled. Problem is, I don't think the Pharisees really knew desperation either. It was a machine. They knew the mechanics, just like the pianist in the story that I opened with. They knew the mechanics, and they knew how to work their way or act their way into achieving righteousness, or rather self-righteousness, but, but there was no animation in or by the Spirit of God in their pursuit of righteousness, and there was no love of neighbor in it. It was all self-serving. I think there's a real difference between pursuing something and longing for something. There's a real difference between pursuing something and hungering for something and thirsting for something of being desperate for something. You can pursue something without much desperation for it, right? I think the Pharisees knew how to pursue it, but I don't know that they knew how to long for it. What does Jesus say in John? I am the bread of life. I will satisfy that hunger. I am the source of the living water. I will satisfy that thirst. When it comes to righteousness, I want to hunger for it. There's some physical implications there. I want to be uncomfortable for it. I want to be pained for it. I want to thirst after it. I want to be viscerally moved toward it. I want to pant for it. Because I know and believe that the source is ready and waiting to fulfill and satisfy those hungers and those thirsts beyond our wildest imagination. Amen. Blessed 
are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Righteousness is getting it all right. If you play it the way it's supposed to be played, there shouldn't be a still foot in the house. True righteousness will animate the breaking through of the making it right kingdom of God in this world. And there won't be a still foot in the house. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Speak truth to my heart. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week. Steve.